This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Hi, I'm Greg Watson and welcome to this week's show of Property Matters where we talk all things property and this week a little bit about the Palmer's North Market. Uh, Following that we've got some stories from around the country and we're even going to go international this week on some news which tickled my fancy. So as you know I like to talk about the market a bit on the show and Palmer's North house prices according to stuff.co.nz say that they're approaching unaffordability ceiling for first home buyers. The house hunting model two, according to the article, is seeming to be a multi-year endeavour as first home buyers are pushed to the limits of what they can afford. And what we've been finding in the market is that there are still plenty of people out there trying to buy homes to live in themselves, even though the investors have quietened down a bit. Uh, there's still multiple offers in most cases where people are upsizing or downsizing. But here we're talking about first home buyers. The Real Estate Institute of New Zealand has put the average house price in Palmerston North at 655000 now, uh, and that's a 35% increase from this time last year. So although we hear the government making nice noises about reducing and trying to make uh, a few stops on the market, 35% increase in Palmerston North is really quite incredible. If you compare that to where else you'd put your money to make an investment, it's uh, a bit like chalk and cheese. So Manawatu-Wanganui region, which is what they tend to gather the our area together as to one big Manawatu-Wanganui region and the stats, it didn't experience the record high average sale price, which it has done uh, for every month for over a year. So it's just probably a little bit of an anomaly there, but it's still 35% bigger uh, when compared to last year. So how on earth people managed to save for a deposit, goodness only knows. Real Estate Institute of New Zealand spokesman Andy Stewart said some of the biggest increases were coming at the lower end of the market and that's making it particularly hard for first home buyers. I was looking recently at the the level of homes or the number of homes that were being purchased in different prices and the biggest increases are in the million dollar plus and the biggest decreases of properties being able to be bought are under 500,000. I think it's halved uh, in the last 12 months. So the government has tried to remove some stumbling blocks for first home buyers, but really uh, the market is just fundamentally driven by supply and demand. There's not a lot that we can do about that. The other thing that was interesting is recently the government changed the levels for the first home loans and grants, and they changed the levels in almost all of the regions except ours. So that was something that's really unfortunate, that uh, the cap was still around the 400000 for an existing home or around 500000 for a new build. So really they're a bit out of touch with reality in terms of first home buyers uh, coming up with uh, or being involved in the first home situation. Keep Moving on, uh, there's a large development happening uh, with first homes in Morrinsville's Lockerbie Estate. Now this is just outside 
Well, it's in rural Waikato, and there's a $500 million housing estate going in. House hunters from Hamilton, Auckland and Tauranga are buying into this because they're finding the Waikato rural towns are getting much better value for money. So there's people shifting from Hamilton, Auckland and Tauranga to snap up the properties at the under-construction Lockerbie Estate in Morrinsville. And this is happening, it's really a mirror of what's happening around the country uh, outside of larger centres. They say a combination of first-home buyers, young families and retirees are shifting. The construction of Stage 1 featuring 85 homes kicked off this month and all of them have sold. So they're not even built yet. Uh, the, the construction's only just started and they've all sold all 85 so once complete, it's actually a 75 hectare development. Now, what does that mean? If you consider the hec- a single hectare is the size of a rugby field. So it's about 79 hectares and it will have 700 homes on 350 to 800 square metre sections. This mirrors a little bit uh, what's happening around our region too. We see uh, quite a bit of building going on in the likes of Martin and Bulls, um, certainly in Ashurst. Uh, and of course, there are the areas in Palmer's North that they're now uh, opening up as well. Uh, you won't find anything under a million dollars down by the lagoon and the developments down there. But uh, if you do go further afield, it gets a bit more affordable, of course. For people moving to this region and transferring, buying within a reasonable commute of Palmer's North or a commute of uh, Wanganui or even fielding, is really uh, becoming a no-brainer because our travel times in this region are still pretty small compared to um, some of the other areas, other Aucklands, etc. So here's an article that uh, tickled my fancy and made me read it, as some headlines sometimes do. Um, Employees of Top Wellington Real Estate Company own an $870 a week rental that's falling apart. That's a pretty interesting uh, headline. And this is coming around the time that the healthy home standards are coming into force. In fact, they're coming into force in two weeks' time. And it's a big job for landlords getting things up to date. Some of them have been waiting. Some of them have waited a bit too long, and now it's hard to get people to do the jobs uh, that are required at the houses. But from this article, which is by Imogen Wells from One News, she says, the smell of dampness and decay hits you as soon as you walk in the door. I don't know if you've been into one of those sort of places before. But not only is this new town flat mouldy and damp, a group of women have been living with holes in their bathroom floor for more than six months, something that was promised to be fixed by mid-March. It's rented for 870 per week as a four-bedroom house. Although if you look on property websites like One Roof or homes.co.nz, it's actually listed as a two-bedroom property. The tenants told One News that they felt like they'd hit brick walls every time they asked for something to be fixed and that it just does not seem to be an urgent problem for the landlords. So one of the four flatmates who didn't want to be identified also received blisters from suspected lax beetle infestation. Uh, And these beetles are attracted to rotten wood and leak fluid onto the human skin if they come into contact with it. Yuck. It sounds pretty disgusting. So she couldn't sit down properly for a while. She had to stand or lie on her back because it hurt so much. The blisters became infected and so forth. So they've lodged a complaint to the, about the house, the company managing it, and the business is reimbursing the tenant for her medical bills and saying that it was unfortunate the tenant had suffered the blisters. So uh, a boutique company, Wellington Business Low and Company, are the ones that look after it. So incredible that people can get away with this. And I think what happens in the media is they, they tend to highlight the worst-case scenarios. And let's face it, 99% of landlords have homes that are perfectly compliant, etc. 
But uh, what was interesting about this one was the headline that it's actually uh, owned by employees of a real estate company and you'd think they would know better, particularly uh, that, that even if they were employed in, in an environment within a real estate company, it would be something that would be talked about quite often. So uh, <laughs> the, the tenants also had a pest controller to go and have a look in the ceiling and uh, the pest controller, where they looked up at the ceiling, apparently said gross in response to what he found on the ceiling. Um, and there were rats and mice. And even the pest controller was pretty amazed that he could get both in one uh, biome, I guess you could say. And so there was a gap between the guttering and the roof, which had um, tree branches that the rats were probably coming in on. So uh, how, do, how do people do this? They should be taken to Tenancy Tribunal and taken to the, to the cleaners, really. Um, but no excuse for that, and uh, soon. And the penalties, by the way, are much uh, more severe than what they used to be. A breach of healthy homes can be up to seven thousand two hundred dollars now that that an owner may have to pay with regards to uh, breaches. Um, you know, it's a sliding scale, so so zero to seventy two hundred dollars for breaches of healthy homes. If you're doing your level best to get uh, your home up to speed, and maybe you're just missing something and you're waiting for a builder or something like that. You may get fined at the lower end if tenants complain, but in situations like the one I've just mentioned, I can't imagine an adjudicator would be particularly lenient on uh, landlords that were told six months ago about holes in the floor. So we'll see where that one goes. If it goes to Tenancy Tribunal, I'll let you know. As you know, I often have the segment on the show called Bad Tenants, Bad Landlords. Uh, We haven't got that today, but there's always something going on in the media. In other news, uh, we're looking at potentially more high-rises in Wellington. Some height restrictions are looking like they're going to be removed for central city apartment buildings. The government has hinted to city councils for some time now that they want them to be more lenient on being able to do things like subdivisions or zoning or build squeezing more uh, accommodation into uh, smaller spaces and that sort of thing. So the Wellington City Council is going to vote uh, this week on a proposal to remove all restrictions on the height of new housing buildings in the CBD and Tiaro. So it's a pretty bold idea, and of course it's a headline grabber as well, uh, but the council is trying to create a blueprint for creating up to 32,000 new homes to which will help just in that Wellington area. So it shows partly the scale of uh, what's happening around the country, but it's certainly something has to be has to be done, and uh, the new housing buildings would need to be a minimum of six stories high. But there will be no upper limit. The upper limit currently is twenty stories high. So I guess uh, developers would need to look at it from a um, supply and demand, and also from uh, affordability. I imagine there would still be aspects of the Resource Management Act. I would imagine that would be able to stop people from having a 30-storey building next to their villa or something like that. But we'll see where that goes. Uh, anyway, they're reviewing the plans and as many uh, many councils are around the country, and I know it's happened here in uh, Manawatu, Wanganui with Horizons and the Palmas North City Council, uh, been trying to open up more land. And, um, and they're doing a, a pretty good job uh, considering the scale of the problem. So what we'll do now is just go for a short break. We're just going to have a little, little bit of music. I'm feeling in a Jimi Hendrix fire mood today. I think it's because it's a bit rainy and cold. Uh, so I'll just we'll throw this on. We'll be back after the break with a bit of discrimination against tenants. Jimi Hendrix with fire. <laughs> 
You're back. You're listening to Property Matters on NPR Manawatu People's Radio. Te reo, irarangi o Natangata o Manawatu. I'm Greg Watson. It's lovely having your company. And that was Jimi Hendrix with Fire, of course. It just felt like something to liven up the day. And uh, we were looking before the break just around a, a few things to do with a, a rental property that really should be knocked down by the sounds of things that was so disgusting. But here's something else that's happened in Wellington, uh, this article by Colleen Hawkes from Stuff. The derelict, dangerous Wellington house fetches 806500 at auction. So there's an abandoned, derelict property for sale in Northland and Wellington, and it's, it was actually too dangerous to view, so they couldn't even show people through. The listing agent Ben Atwell of Ray White, Wellington City, says the house that no one is permitted to enter attracted five bidders, including one international bidder, but it was sold to a buyer who had been in from the start. 
He's quoted as saying he had done a lot of due diligence and he's over the moon. And the vendor is just ecstatic to know he can move on and be free of that particular burden. We had one cheeky person start the bidding at just $10,000, but it rocketed out. So Atwell describes the result as a phenomenal price for what is basically, or what really is, just, just a basic section. And will probably involve some demolition, but it does have a spectacular view. So it begs the question, would you buy, or would you pay over 800000 for a section with a view? I guess if you had lots of money, you might. Um, the, it doesn't say who the buyer was, but it does say that it had been, the house had been let go by a single elderly gentleman who had lived there for about 40 years. The owner was served a notice by the council which deemed the house dangerous due to its compromised structural integrity and therefore uninhabitable. So there we go. The, but what, uh, on the positive side, Ray White helped the owner find a new place to live and he's moved into a sub-penthouse with a view. <laughs> so I'm not surprised if he sold the section for 806000 but um, that's pretty amazing. Now we're just going to go into some rental news here. This is from TVNZ. A Tauranga mum, unable to find a rental, says she's being discriminated against over her children. So a Tauranga mother of four says she'll be homeless in several weeks and claims she's been discriminated against in the rental market because she has children. Rental agencies in the city say finding a home is the hardest it's been in decades in Tauranga and the tenancy reforms are compounding the issue. I guess what they're referring to there is that landlords are being much more particular in a sense around who they put in. She says, I've had moments where I've felt I've failed as a mother because I couldn't provide a roof over my children's head. She says she has good references and is willing to pay $750 a week, but while applying for numerous properties over the last few weeks, she was shocked to discover an email from an agent. And the email said, sorry your application was unsuccessful, they don't want a family. And she said, I just cried. Now I'm just going to put the pause on the article for a second. Uh, Discrimination due to your family situation, is actually an unlawful act under the Tenancy uh, Residential Tenancies Act. So that uh, lady could take a case at Tenancy Tribunal and potentially win hundreds or thousands of dollars. Uh, the fact that it says they don't want a family would tend to indicate to me it was a property management company. And in fact, it goes on to say that... Um, no, I won't mention uh, the company name because I don't know what it is for certain, so let's not go there. But in the article, they did... Uh, interview someone from another company called uh, Tauranga Rentals and the owner Dan Lusby said he's helped thousands of people into new homes but he's never seen competition this bad. He says we've probably got half a dozen properties available, two are gone and the rest will be gone by tomorrow. Now the reason I'm just mentioning this is that this is actually typical of regions and it's typical in our region too that there are simply not enough homes and it's pretty hard indeed. What was interesting about this article was they actually put in writing why they didn't choose her and that's where um, it's sad to see that uh, discrimination is something that that shouldn't be happening. Um, and if you're going to put some discrimination in writing, you can expect to be fined quite considerably. So we might have to watch this space. And speaking of watch this space, this article from which has come out of Singapore in the international side of things from Yahoo.com, an Airbnb owner filmed a woman in home toilet with a pinhole camera. Now, now, I don't know if you've ever stayed by Airbnb. Uh, the last thing you'd think is someone's filming you, but you might remember uh, last year I talked about a case in Canada uh, where tenants were being filmed. But let's have a look at what's happened here. A man who rented out his room via the lodging marketplace Airbnb was planning to film a woman showering. 
says that Jonathan Huang, 33, placed a pinhole camera in a flower pot in the unit's toilet upon learning that the victim, who knew the tenant was planning to stay on the 9th of May last year. After a shower, the victim noticed a shiny object in the flower pot and found the pinhole camera. The 29-year-old foreign national removed the SD card and left for her own unit. So this guy got had to plead guilty to two counts of voyeurism and is going to be sentenced. Now you might recall another one which was from last year in Canada was where they had an alarm clock beside their bed and um, the person staying there noticed something that looked a bit like a camera within the alarm clock because you can buy these things. And, uh, and that one uh, was also found. But what's interesting here is the tenant actually took the SD card <laughs> as proof. I just laughed because it's, this guy deserves everything he's getting going to get. Uh, imagine that. You're staying there at Airbnb. You're doing your thing. You're walking around with not much on, only to discover that the whole thing's being filmed. It's, it's pretty scary indeed. Now, what does Singapore do for people like this? You can be jailed for up to two years, fined or caned. Maybe all of the above. All of the above would be quite interesting. Put them in jail, find them and cane them, I would say. But uh, that's just something which, yeah, I guess Airbnb, I mean, you hear stories about these things. I mean, there's, there's a hostel owner in, in New Zealand, I think, that, that did something like this at one stage. I won't say where, where because I'm not sure. But, uh, yeah, some of the stuff, i just got to be a bit careful. So talking about international stuff, I thought you might be interested, uh, just as an aside, this article on stuff.co.nz says, here's what Auckland's median house price can buy around the world. So as we know, property demand is outstripping supply, and the median house price in Auckland recently hit $1.14 million. That's incredible. Um, so for that price, you could get a good quality city fringe apartment or maybe a standard house in an outer suburb. So what can you get in some other countries? Well, in Australia, the prices have also skyrocketed. Sydney's median house price, just over a million New Zealand dollars. Melbourne's a bit less. The reason that I'm talking about this is Auckland was in demographic's uh, least affordable markets. And, and so, are the, so are some of the Australian examples. In Vancouver, in Canada, the average house price... Now, Vancouver's not a huge city, trying to recall from when I've been there. But nevertheless, it's uh, 1.5 million for, for an average one. So these are some pretty unaffordable places. In London, the average house price is now just slightly under a million New Zealand dollars. So that's interesting. You'd think that would be uh, somewhat more expensive. And in the United States, maybe we could look at investing offshore. In Pittsburgh, a typical home value was just over 300000 New Zealand dollars. So that's uh, that's pretty pretty amazing. Um, and if you go further afield, they can head up towards a million in some places. In the French town called uh, in a French town near Lyon in Geneva, a fourteen bedroom, three bathroom, nineteenth century chateau is listed for just over one point one million. So if you did want to have a change of scenery uh, during COVID or, or post COVID, it's also got a ten hectare ten hectare section with a park. Uh, and there are photos of this on stuff.co.nz, which is pretty amazing. So um, that's just something which you could get a 14-bedroom chateau in France. And for the listeners of some of my other shows, just remember there are still available in some cities in Italy homes for one euro, uh, which is a couple of dollars, uh, provided you commit to doing them up and that sort of thing. But if you're having trouble affording things, you could always try crowdfunding. 
this article by Miriam Bell, who does quite a lot of real estate articles on stuff.co.nz, begs the question, property crowdfunding, why isn't it working? So property crowdfunding was meant to be a saviour for first home buyers hoping to get on the ladder, uh, but the latest contender struggles show that Kiwis have not yet taken to the concept. So when the Auckland's housing market was at the peak of its last cycle, property crowdfunding was touted as a solution for those who could not afford to buy a house on their own. The idea would be that investors would pull their money to raise funds to invest in real estate, which would allow people a stake in a property for much less than the thousands required for a housing deposit. Since 2015, several crowdfunding enterprises have tried and failed to get off the ground, and a new platform Opoly, as in Monopoly or Duopoly and so forth, it's called Opoly, has not raised the capital needed to proceed with the two offerings it marketed. It launched earlier this year and gave investors the options to buy a share in increments of $100 in a property which once purchased would be managed for three years before being sold for a return. So that actually sounds quite good. Uh, recently on the weekend I had a little play with sharesies and bought some shares just to give that a go and uh, and of course that's uh, something that's more of a, a longer term but this is interesting that they're thinking they would manage it for three years and then sell it bearing in mind the Brightline test would take some of that as tax but uh, the investors would then receive the net rental payments quarterly and their initial investment plus any profit when the property was sold. Sounds like a reasonably sound way to save money but uh, that just doesn't attract the, the oh, let me go back a step. They launched a crowdfunding campaigns on two properties: an apartment in Ponsonby Road in April and a commercial property in Orewa in May. But neither property attracted the level of funds needed to go ahead with the investment. So these are platforms that are successful overseas. Uh, crowdfunding platforms. Uh, there shouldn't be any reason why they wouldn't be popular here. Maybe it's a lack of lack of knowledge or um, marketing. Not too sure. But the. Um, the Felix Watkins, who's the founder of Opoly, says we're not deterred, but we've listened to a lot of feedback from people and we'll be changing our model to offer up new build opportunities which have a faster turnaround time from the point of exit for sale for investors. So it's quite interesting to think that you could invest a small amount of money into a property which could then eventually build to the deposit you need on your own property. That's um, a bit of a stretch, but uh, I guess if you were some way along that investment journey, uh, or sorry, the saving a deposit journey for your first home, you could uh, maybe uh, pop that into property, which is returning very well, and then hopefully that would uh, be enough to, to buy a home in the future. It really does depend on what the market does, but certainly in this region, while it's going up 35% in 12 months, it's hard to imagine uh, deposits being able to keep up. Well, that's all we've got uh, for this week's show here on Property Matters. I'm Greg Watson. It's been lovely having your company. And whether you're listening to this on mpr.nz or where good blog post podcasts are found, then it's been great having your company and we'll see you again next week. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show.